Hi there, this is Kat. And this is Phoebe. We're Feminine Chaos. Hello. Hello. Uh, Phoebe, I have to ask you, since we last chatted, have you by any chance left your marriage and your career because you fell in love with Martin Shkreli? <laughs> Dude, I mean, haven't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought you might have too, and we could kind of bond over this. So did podcast. the squirrel outside my window, uh, coincidentally. That slut. The squirrel, yeah. I mean, not Martin Shkreli, yeah. who is, of course, irresistible. Yes. So the story. Yes. There's a lady <laughs> somewhere in a basement apartment in Harlem, but perhaps wearing a ball gown, although apparently it's just for this story, who... Um, made the news. She was the Twitter's character of the day um, a couple days ago, I guess, because what did she do? Well, she was the subject of a story called in L in the women's magazine L. This is a long reported feature story called the journalist and the pharma bro. Why did Christy, Christy Smythe or Smith uh, upend Smythe. Okay. Upend her life and stability for Martin Shkreli, one of the least liked men in the world. And it's by Stephanie Clifford. Um, and well, <laughs> so <laughs> why did she? Now, I'm just going to throw this out there and say that I think so. Like there's been a whole discussion of could this have happened to anybody? Could any woman have? Is this the story of every woman, Kat? Is this is this? would but for the grace of Martin Shkreli's proximity go I? You know, I actually have, I think, the most unpopular opinion about this, which is that there are, in fact, things about this story that are extremely extremely relatable and that are kind of there, but for the grace of God go I. Not the specific Shkreli aspect of it or even <laughs> okay the leaving your you know blowing up your marriage and your career because you've fallen in love with a reviled convict aspect but here's what I'll say about this I think that if you've ever fallen in love inconveniently um that there are things about this story that will feel familiar and that may resonate for you Oh, I think that's true. I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion. I think like with any sort of everybody's reading it, you know, like intensely type story, there's some, there's got to be that crucial mix of I would never and could have been me. And I mean, this is like not to be all like, I mean, I've seen these stories connected on Twitter. Okay. So hear me out. But Tubin, right? On the one hand, Never. On the other hand, I find the situation of that you're, you know, in a meeting online and you don't realize it feasible, you know, the specifics of it. No, the sort of broader, you know what I mean? So I think for any of these stories to kind of like capture attention, there needs to be this kind of mix of like the not at all relatable and the deeply relatable. Yes, the difference, I guess, key between this one and Tubin is, well, I mean, for one, well, this there's one so many. Involve, <laughs> this one doesn't involve a penis, which obviously is pretty crucial. Um, also, it's not really funny. Where the Tubin thing was pretty, like, objectively funny. Right, right. This is sad. I mean, it's in some respects. It's also, um, 
Yeah. So basically, should we sum up what happened? Yeah. Let's try to sum this up. Do you want to do it or should I? Um, I can try, but I might need help. So basically, um, Christy Smythe was a reporter for Bloomberg News. She was reporting on uh, this pharma bro Shkreli who um, he, I guess his issue was the all sorts of white collar crime fraud, but also um, the price gouging with pharmaceuticals is another um, thing in his repertoire. But anyway, she was covering his trial, but then when he f- went to jail, she fell in love with him. And in the process, this torpedoed everything. She had to leave her otherwise perfect marriage, which it's mentioned sort of between the lines and the L piece was headed for divorce anyway. <laughs> so that's like, hmm, maybe it wasn't an otherwise perfect marriage. Um, and she had, for obvious journalistic ethics reasons, she could not continue to be reporting on Shkreli's legal affairs. She tried and failed. Now, I think this is an important bit of the backstory. Um, that's It's in the L article. Um, she tried and failed to get a book published about Shkreli and did, however, sell film rights to this same proposal. So it seems like maybe, so that's led to some conspiracy theories in my Twitter timeline about, is this all just because she wants to drum up interest? And I don't know, that's something we could discuss. But um, I actually, somebody floated to me the possibility that they were never actually involved at all and that she herself is conning the public with this story in mm-hmm. an attempt to, to drum up publicity for, you know, for the book deal that she wants to get, which I'll say, like, if that is the case, she is more committed to this than any person in the, the history of humanity has been committed to a con. And she's very, very good <laughs> at it. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so- Huge if true. So. so basically, this was covered in L by a journalist, sort of not friend, but like a colleague type woman in her life um, who had known her for a while um, and who she opened up to about all of this. And there are a few sort of key elements to this story, which you I'm going to just say, if you're listening to Feminine Chaos, you've probably read the story. You've probably read the tweets on the story. We've probably read the like. Um, Talmudic commentary in the New York Times and the cut and everywhere else on this. But basically, so two things that I think need to be mentioned. One is that the um, the article, because it's in a fashion magazine, has these pictures of Smythe in these like stunning, very much like not what anybody's wearing <laughs> during the pandemic dresses, including one um, by a designer called The Vampire's Wife. <laughs> so these are photos by Caroline Tompkins. And yeah, so this was much discussed. It's this black dress with a with poppies, like the flower uh, pat, red poppies on a pattern. Um, and she has spelled out, I forget if it's on Twitter or what, that these are not dresses she owns. These are dresses for the photo shoot. So that's one detail that I think is kind of like, because I think that, was very striking and is um it made it dresses themselves are like they're not just sort of extravagant gowns but they have like big puffed sleeves Mm -hmm. they actually remind me like of a very grown-up version of that strawberry dress that took over tiktok 
Very much so. They're like that. And they seem like the dresses, and I almost want to say some of the styling, like especially that like looking now at the third picture, I think it is where she's like in this vampire's wife dress and she's sitting on some sort of ottoman and it looks like she's waiting by the phone. It's like the caption should be waiting by the phone for Martin Shkreli to call. I mean, like, it, that isn't the caption. Well, no, it almost is. The caption is, Smythe says she will wait for Shkreli while he serves the remaining years of his sentence. Period. Dress. The vampire's wife. Earrings. <laughs> <laughs> Altuzara. Now, I mean, Do it's like, it's very... They had to probably search far and wide just to find this designer that happened to be called the vampire's wife. Just there's, so oh, there's all this fashion commentary I have not dug through, but I think there's supposed to be like other reasons for it. But um, anyway, so that's one thing. And then I need to just, sorry, look for the here. Okay. Um, <laughs> the statement from Shkreli himself, and I think this is really important, is that he, what he says, um, his statement is Mr. Shkreli wishes Ms. Smythe the best of luck in her future endeavors. Oh God. That's so, like, Oh, so, that's the thing you don't want your crush to write in your yearbook. Like stay sweet. Have a great summer. Like, Oh, that's painful. <laughs> so that gets to another whole angle that I will want us to discuss, which is like, this gets presented very much as like, it's Shkreli's girlfriend, but like it's at at most, at most an ex-girlfriend. And even that is a little bit of a stretch. And it seems like a very one-sided interest. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't tremendously leading her on. He certainly appears to have been doing that. But something that I want to throw out there, okay, maybe we will dive into it later, is... If this, if you switch the genders and there was a man who'd been rejected by a woman, but he's waiting for her indefinitely on his ottoman in a nice suit, wouldn't that be like nice guy, friend zone, me too? I'm just throwing terms out there. No, but like, wouldn't that be, you know, like, I guess I'm trying to think what would be the equivalent of, so she's frozen her the eggs. vampire's cuckold. No, I don't know. <laughs> she's, she's the vampire's incel. But yeah, so she's frozen her eggs for him because so she's 37, which was not mentioned in the L article, only in the Times article. I want to like read a whole article about why that was. But yeah, as a 37-year-old woman, hashtag as a, I, I found this interesting because like this idea of like, you know, the biological clock and like waiting for it, not for sh just for Shkreli, but for like him to get out of jail. At which point, surely his first order of business is impregnating her, even though he wishes her luck in her future endeavors, which tends not to go with that. Um, it's cold. It's cold. You hope, you've got to hope that it's actually a, I, I mean, I personally kind of hope it is a, plot to get something published because it's a cutthroat world out there <laughs> and maybe it's the only way yeah i too wish her the best of luck in her future endeavors <laughs> i mean but i mean this is one of the interesting things is that she is quite a sympathetic character um 
in a lot of ways, despite the fact that the reaction to this piece, and I think this is one of these things where the the piece itself was very interesting, but so too was the response that it got. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, I mean, it wasn't just that she became Twitter's main character. It was like she was – the way people were going after her and, like, making fun of her was so incredibly vicious um, in a way that was, like, kind of disturbing to see. Um, And then she actually – which I I really fell down a rabbit hole into sort of watching her Twitter feed where she was – busy responding to people who were talking about this article and who were talking about her and asking her questions. Um, And in, in doing so, I ended up kind of changing my mind about the nature of this entire thing itself, because she comes off as such like a reasonable um, adult, basically in all of this. I mean, I think a lot of it is also like the specific things he's accused of doing both like these legal issues and the whole harassment of female journalists question, which we also need to get into. He, he has, he has not made himself popular. And I guess I think we have a cultural, cultural context here of if you like a straight cis white man, (laughs) that's already problematic. But if you like this one, and the fact, the use of bro in, I mean, this is not something the L writer invented, like he has been referred to like this, I guess, before, but. Ever since he became the main character on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been mm-hmm. his moniker. So I think there's something about this that's like, um, you like that guy, you know what I mean? And um, like, I think there's falling in love with somebody like a charismatic bad boy. And then there's like this guy who just seems a little bit. I don't even know. I'm trying to think of like what a reference would be of who he seems like, but he doesn't seem like somebody who would, at least from the outside, he does not seem like somebody who would necessarily inspire that. But uh, well, why don't you talk about the harassment? Did he harass female journalists? Okay. Yeah. So after this, piece broke and got a lot of negative attention. Obviously, yes, you know, I think maybe even first and foremost, because here was a person who had already been kind of cast as a villain by the progressive media class. And I think that there is a phenomenon in the world of there being a bad reaction when somebody comes out and tries to argue for the complex humanity of somebody who's also who or who is already rather a reviled villain of the progressive media class, sort of the same phenomenon that you saw um, where it was like, don't you dare profile that Trump supporter or that member of the alt-right because you're normalizing or humanizing somebody who doesn't deserve it. So there was that. But then also, um, there started to be this agitation that the piece quote unquote glossed over Martin Shkreli's worst crime, which maybe predictably in the eyes of, you know, all of these um, members of this media class who were talking about this was that he was a troller and a harasser of female journalists. And, um, Pretty shortly thereafter, this piece came out in the cut um, that said, uh, let's see, here's the headline, was Martin Shkreli's long history of harassing female journalists. And 
God damn it. My browser has decided that this is the moment when it wants to stop me from reading this because I've reached my article limit. Excuse me while I go incognito. Okay, so basically, did he, did he, for our listeners' sake, did he harass female journalists? And was that worse than price gouging on pharmaceuticals? Okay, so here's the thing. It's like, Shkreli um, did engage in both typical kind of Twitter bullshit um, antagonism of female journalists, especially female journalists who were writing about him uh, in unflattering ways. I actually would be curious to know if he did this to male journalists too, because um, there's always this mention of female journalists specifically because supposedly like that's worse and it feeds into this whole idea that it's so terrible to be a woman online and blah, blah, blah. Um, I would guess that he probably was just like an equal opportunity asshole to everybody because he seems like the type. But some of the stuff he did definitely crossed a line from being not just kind of ordinary Twitter bullshit to being like pretty vicious and actually like in some cases bizarrely inventive where he would buy up the domain names um, of like journalists who he perceived to be his enemies um, for very, very low amounts of money. And then he would um, like park himself there on this domain and either, you know, hold it hostage for an enormous amount of money, or he would use it to set up like a sort of a rudimentary website that, that um, was insulting to the journalist in question, which obviously like that's a kind of, of, of no, that's villainous. harassment. That's, I think that's, that's harassment. So it sounds like he. Oh no! I was about to say like that's harass. that's not yeah. that's not just harassment. That's like a step beyond what is typical. Um, it's like yeah. you know, and it it I plays mean, yeah. into it plays into this villainous kind of character that was ascribed to him. And there's some debate, like you know, if you ask um, if you ask Smythe about this, she says that this was an act. This was basically him, you know saying like oh you've you've decided i'm a villain well i'll show you how villainous i can be i don't know if i really believe that i think that it's entirely possible that he just actually is this person um but the thing that struck me about this insistence that like the main story was that he harassed female journalists like for one um that really is like one of the least interesting things about this story honestly like you know it's to be to be a to people online is just not that novel. Um, and I think that it's probably one of the least interesting things about both Martin Shkreli as a person and about the story that actually provoked this. Um, and it kind of speaks to this, I guess, maybe kind of Trump era tendency of people in the media to decide that like they themselves are the most important story or their relationship with the subject is the most important story. So there's that. But um in this article on the cut, one of the things that was mentioned, apart from this domain name stealing, which, you know, as I think we, we both agree is pretty fucked up, um, that apart from that, his form of harassment was encouraging his followers to be rude to female journalists who he didn't like. Um, and that was sort of where at least I got off that particular train because encouraging your followers to be mean to people you don't like is just Twitter. I mean, you know, 
Martin Shkreli oh, did, yeah. this, but so do many, many extremely progressive, uh, self-declared feminist male journalists when oh, they encounter boy, yes. <laughs> a woman saying something online that they don't like. So, oh yes, yes, that's true. I mean, I do think so. I do think this is relevant. Yes. So I think it's very, it may not be the most crucial thing in some sort of like cosmic sense of like his misdeeds, but I think in terms of the story of a female journalist, supposedly, and I think this is something I would like to sort of push back on a little bit, giving it all up um, for him. I think it's relevant because I think there's this idea that there would be some sort of sisterhood that would have prevented that or should have prevented her from, you know, like sleeping with the enemy, right? So that it's not just that she was an embarrassment. Although I do that, like it, it has a lot to do with just general sort of, um, and I think it, it has a lot actually of echoes with that Avital Ronel um, scandal from a while back, whereas in that case, a complet professor who um, was accused of sexually harassing her male grad student. Um, in this case, I think it's it's very much that like, she's not only kind of like making everybody, like everybody who's been spending years saying like female journalists do not sleep with their sources, do not fall in love with their sources. It's not something that happens. It only happens in the movies. Well, except when it happens in life. So that's a little bit embarrassing, but then there's also that like, shouldn't she have felt some kind of um, shouldn't she have owed it to the female journalists to have not fallen for this man. Now, I'm not saying that that's like a necessarily the most useful way of interpreting things, but I think it's a kind of unavoidable part of the story. And I think if this had just been some random lady had like, <laughs> you know, had come to prison to like in some sort of volunteer capacity and then fallen for or had been a, a guard at the prison, whatever, you know, doesn't make any sense in some other case. But like, given that she herself is a journalist, that Smythe herself is a journalist, I think that was going to be part of the story because this is a media story. It's not like it has to be twisted into a media story, you know? I suppose there's that point that it hit a little too close to home. Yeah. And then the thing about how female journalists don't fall in love with their sources and don't sleep with their sources, that's a line that gets pushed because the truth is complicated and can be used in ways that people find problematic to, I guess, discredit the idea of women working as journalists at large. Because then we swing too far the other way to pretending that female journalists are like ice-cold professionals with no feelings who never experience any inconvenient human emotions or connections whatsoever. Like, they're too good for that. Oh, yes. I, I want to strongly agree with you on that because I think that is, like, a major issue with the whole Me Too moment in general is this idea that women, as such, never want a situation to get sexual, are always hoping that a coffee is, you know, profesh a professional situation, you know, that there's never any sort of sexual or romantic intent coming from a woman ever, which is just so ridiculous. And apart from whether it's, you know, anti-feminist or whatever, it's just simply inaccurate to how human beings are. Um, oh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh, I'm going to screw this up. I don't remember the name of the show or the prison where this happened, even though it's quite close to the upstate New York area where I'm from. There was that show. It had um, Matt Damon in it about two guys who managed to escape from prison and it was based on a true story and they convinced their female guard who was in love with one of them to let them out and again you know it's inconvenient to this sort of feminist line that women in these situations are always purely professional but is that even a feminist line like let's just 
another question. I don't even think it is. I think it's sort of this weird, like I get how feminism landed there, but I don't think it's a feminist interpretation of it's this, this idea that women are not quite people is not feminist. But I was going to say that I think that this ties in a little bit to something else that that struck me as a source of a lot of the pushback that this piece got, which is that Smythe does not willingly slot herself into a role that I think would have been more palatable to a lot of people. Like, had she positioned this as a Me Too story, and had this been... You know, I was manipulated and seduced by Martin Shkreli, who is evil, and I threw away my life for him, and I have so many regrets, and I feel so much shame, I feel so victimized. I think the reception would have probably been pretty different. It would have. I mean, it would have taken a big twisting of facts to arrive at such a conclusion, but yeah, yeah, I think that would have definitely been interpreted differently. And I think as as the story is told, I think the only one who has any semblance of a Me Too claim would be Martin Shkreli, who is, you know, without consenting to it, you know, half of a big love story that's been written up, you know, and like, he does not want to be with this woman, it's pretty clear. Um, Even if he once did, he doesn't now. And, you know, that gets to that very weird Me Too realm of where, you know, obviously this is not how everybody has interpreted Me Too, but where, you know, in certain contexts, you will get a woman saying that she was not, she did not consent to be dumped. And that's like, not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think there was a lot of, and this came up a lot um, in the response, like, is she mentally ill? Is she troubled? Is she having a nervous breakdown? Is she having, God forbid, because we've been how old she is, a midlife crisis? Um, yeah, like, what does very, it all mean? Yeah, people were very anxious to find a way to kind of, you know, even as the woman herself is sitting there saying, I'm not a victim, I don't need to be patronized, which is an, an element that I want to revisit in a second. Um, people were very desperately trying to cast her in uh, a role that gave her less agency but that made her maybe more sympathetic or more of the kind of damsel figure that we're used to seeing in scenarios and in stories like this yeah i mean she was like to i guess this idea that like men are so guided by their you know whatever whether one wishes to speak anatomically or hormonally or whatever and that like women So I'm going to just say something. This is not even like about abstract ideas of the culture. I'm talking about the L article itself, where which really presented things. And I want to maybe like question this a little as that Smythe had been pure, normie, sensible, professional, you know, type A, reasonable, you know, like, like the lady from Knocked Up, like Catherine Heigl and Knocked Up. You know, like she'd been the completely like prim and and serious, whatever. And then this happened. And I just wonder, is anybody's life so neat? You know, like if things are already not going great with her husband and they were already maybe going to split up, there's that. That's already a lot. And, you know, maybe she was burnt out with her work. Who knows? Like, it just seems like people are complicated. And I think that the L story, what frustrated me about it in a way was, and I think what really you know, sort of guided the response to it is just this idea of her as like the professional, no nonsense female journalist. Now, 
I guess, like the author of the piece in L, you know, knew her a bit prior, but like they weren't close, you know, it doesn't seem clear that she really like knew this. And this just seems to have been the narrative that either seemed most compelling or seemed most persuasive. But like, I don't think that at 37 years old, people very often up and have their first irrational crush. I think that's unusual. And I bet, you know, like people are human beings their whole lives. And I just, I feel like there was something set up in the story to make the reader think that this was like, that she had been like the ultra rational, um, sort of heterosexual to the point of asexual every woman until this happened. And I don't know, is anyone really like that? Like it just seemed, or maybe somebody, but not somebody who ends up in that situation. It just seemed like people are probably a bit more complicated. And I just, um, I feel like a lot to say somebody was with their, you know, finance bro boyfriend, as it was presented in the article for five years, and then they got married, I guess it was something like that. Yeah. Did she date people before? What were her romantic relationships like prior? I don't know. I'm just, I want to know everything. But maybe she should tell it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would read that book. Um, But you know, it strikes me that like, maybe this is the thing that as all the people reading this article are trying to slot her into one familiar narrative. The article itself is slotting her into a different but no less familiar narrative. It's sort of like the I fell in love with a convicted felon version of Eat, Pray, Love, you know, where it's like you're you're perfect on the surface, but unfulfilling life blows up because you blew it up um, because you were chasing your passion. The thing that's a complicating factor is that that is more at least a lot closer to the version of events that Smythe herself signs on to. And she talks about this a little bit. I mean, she's done, she has done so many interviews following up this first one. Um, She must be exhausted. But she basically says, you know, that she made this decision. Um, She has no regrets that she's heard from many, many women who were in a similar position in one way or another, who also basically decided to give up everything to chase something, some dream, you know, whether it was a man or whether it was something else. Um, and that they too, you know, have no regrets. So I don't know. I mean, I think that it's also like the story is not done yet. Um, and so there's, there's no satisfying ability to look back and say well this and this was a good decision or it was a terrible decision like there's just not enough distance from it either way but it's- and what if it isn't gendered also like people you know fall in love people sacrifice things people make stupid decisions you know like all of these things like I think there was just I guess I saw a lot of this kind of like this is a thing that can happen to women where they get manipulated and it's like Everybody can get, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I think that these are two people who are both professionals in the world, you know, granted one a white collar criminal, the other not, but, um, you know, like, does it really, does their gender matter as much as the fact that, so this is where it, so it, the story broke in L, right? You know, L could not get more women's than that with the frilly dresses or the poofy dresses as the case may be. Um, But like, how much does it matter? 
you know, I guess the the egg freezing angle, which is weird if it's like for him, but not weird if it's just something she did because that's like her milieu where that would be done. Maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I wonder like, is she doing some wrong to him by making this sort of largely in her own head love affair so public? Is that or is that digging? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to it's it's really hard to say. We only have her word for it, you know, like that that there was a relationship at all. So I guess the question is, do you hashtag believe women in in all cases <laughs> and in this one? Um, but you know, it's an it's an interesting question that it's not like he comes out and says she's delusional. This never happened. But right, you know, if you if you want to read it in a certain way, it's. I guess possible that this was actually all in her head and there was no relationship. Although I guess that there's maybe a certain amount, like there's this picture of her, right. With the Wu Tang clan album that he bought for some millions of dollars off of eBay. Yeah. I mean, they definitely like knew each other. I mean, I don't think there is no, I, I guess I just mean, even if they definitely dated, the idea of like, is it pertinent to the news that this happened? You know, like, I mean, it's a human interest story, right? Yeah. I just feel like there's something like, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like if anything, if, if good can be, and I do think it can, I think some of the good that could be taken from me too, is this idea that once somebody has ended things and they've ended things like, there isn't any sort of public understanding of these people as a couple anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something about this, like that she'll wait, she's waiting for him. Like that, I don't know. It kind of creeped me out. I'm not going to lie. Like that kind of seemed like if that were a man saying that about a woman, I think people would be creeped out. And I, I think in either, I don't think it really matters. Oh, I mean, if this were a man, nobody would be sympathetic. Nobody would be looking for reasons to be sympathetic to him. Now, if this were a man, would it have been done with the same dresses a la Harry Styles? <laughs> I picture him um, probably not wearing dresses, but I mean, what would be the equivalent? Did they dress him up in like, um, like sort of like, instead of like the vampire's wife, do they dress him like the vampire? Is he sitting there dressed Ooh. like this thought, <laughs> you know, like Tom Cruise know. in... Um, I would think so. I would think so. I mean, yeah, it's it's quite a story. I can't say I greatly personally related to it. I think maybe like my own natural barrier to having situations like this is just having always been very, very, at least baseline shallow. And like, I don't know, this sort of like idea that somebody's sheer charisma or like, you know, done wrongedness or whatever it was would somehow like suddenly, I don't know. I feel like this, this exact thing I can't quite imagine, but, um, but then if I cast, if I cast Shkreli with a very nice looking actor who, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I even, I don't know. I, I think there's just something, I almost wonder if people are more susceptible to this sort of thing if they have self-defined as serious, no nonsense, blah, blah, blah. Cause I feel like I've never self-defined as serious, no nonsense in that way. And maybe like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So I have two thoughts about this. The first is that, um, 
yeah, I mean, this is this is having spent a long time looking at Smythe's Twitter feed. Like she, you know, very persuasively projects um, an image that is like thoughtful and confident without being arrogant. Um, she spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what parts of this she feels badly about, what parts of it she doesn't. Um, but the thing of sort of how she how she came to, you know, see this guy's humanity and also to be really concerned about the um, the conditions in which he was living in prison as prisons are being ravaged by COVID, which is actually a, a really serious concern. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people kind of making fun of her for this. Like, um, it's like, oh, oh really? Fact, I thought that oh, was yeah. supposed to be her like redeeming sort no, of this is silver lining people quality. Are like, people are like, imagine only caring about this, you know, when you know, because it was because it was bad and hard for Martin Shkreli, like, i.e. I. for this horrible person that we've already decided is barely even human. Um, and, you know, she basically pointed out, um, you know, for for one, that it's really pretty common to take a more critical view of the criminal justice system once somebody you know and love or whether, you know, or maybe it's you yourself get involved with the business end of it. Um she also mentions in the piece, and this also was much derided, but I think it's actually a pretty good point, that being involved with him um, gave her second thoughts about what it meant to be a reporter covering crime and how you tend not to get the defendant's perspective. You know, you're receiving information primarily from police and prosecutors who, of course, have their own narrative of whatever is happening to promote. And that's... Um, I mean, that's a valid point. It's not super sympathetic when it's Martin Shkreli you're talking about, but this is the kind of thing that journalists have rightly pointed to when it comes to things like, oh, I don't know, stories about human trafficking or whatever, where you've got mm -hmm. this really thinly sourced, ultimately false information that's being fed to reporters by the police who want to make things look a certain way. We should um, recommend Elizabeth Nolan Brown's yeah, writing. Elizabeth Nolan Brown is like the person on this. And, um, you know, these are, these are worthwhile issues to consider, even if they've come packaged in the form of sympathetic attention to somebody who is otherwise widely considered loathsome. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think best case scenario, this is some sort of like, she romanticized something that happened somewhat cynically in order to get um, an important story maybe told, perhaps more important than simply this Shkreli is actually not the devil, which fine, like, I guess that's fair. Maybe if he's not the devil, fair enough. But um, but like maybe a bigger story about criminal justice, maybe. Um, second best case scenario is that maybe the takeaway could be that women are human beings and like, you know, sometimes are guided by love, lust, or just sort of general desire to just take a kind of perhaps ill thought out path. Um, yeah, I think there are a few possibilities. I don't really... I don't see this as a mental illness thing at all. And I don't understand why that became the thing. I mean, I, I don't claim to know the, you know, mental health of anybody online, but like of all the things I've read about online, this doesn't seem 
yeah, this just seems sort of more like somebody, you know, she's in her 30s, you know, broke up with one person, fell in love with a different person. I don't know if this is like mental illness. That seems just like a thing that does yeah, sometimes yeah, happen. Yeah, no, I think the reaching for mental illness as an explanation has a lot to do with, you know, people feeling uncomfortable with how, in many ways, ordinary and human this whole story really is. Um, yeah. And the, the yeah. fun coda to so. all of this is that the New York Post, um, I guess, you know, caught up with Smythe. Um, when is this article from two days ago? Um, you're, like, so we're recording this on the 23rd of December. So this was, um, what is this, Wednesday? Yeah. I'm so, I've lost track of what day it is. So this was Monday evening. Um, they caught up with Smythe and um, she said, he basically dumped me through his lawyers. Um, this is referring to the <laughs> best of luck in your future endeavors statement. Um, and right. she said, you know, as she was asked, all right, I'm just going to read this loud. Asked by the post if she is ready to start dating other guys. Smythe, dressed in jeans and black boots while walking her dog amid the snow. She was not wearing the evening gown. <laughs> um replied i'm definitely Aww. open to it i have been basically celibate for two years i'm not going to sit around and wait um and then she said i'm here in the sense mm. that i care for him i love him i'd be interested in seeing if we can make some kind of future work if that's what he wants to do um you know she, she just mm -hmm. seems like a very you know reasonable person i think you know that too has well, she's not waiting for him, but then I almost wonder if the L story was then misleading because it really gives the impression that, or I guess she didn't know. Maybe he had been misleading to her, and she didn't know yeah, she was dumped. Yeah, I mean that's also the timeline's a little. Who knows? I mean, of course, tricky. the L story sort of played up how she was. I mean, they described her as like being tearful, describing her sitting her by the like sitting by the phone waiting for Martin Shkreli to call. So, you know, I they definitely portrayed her in a certain way um maybe a little bit well it's this myth i think when when women you know give it all up for a man it's this myth that like women you know would only ever want like one man that's how it would be and that like a man was would just give it all up to like chase yeah. women or something you know like to just be kind of a womanizer in some general sense um but it sounds like it sounds like she um well you know there are pictures of her in pretty dresses floating around and, you know, maybe she's ahead of the pack in the COVID New York City dating scene, whatever yeah. that apocalyptic I mean, honestly, situation like, must be. I blame be. her not in the least for the whole dresses thing. If somebody wants to write an article about me and- Oh, no, I don't- do I don't shoot. blame her I, either. Journalists, are you listening? I'm here. I'll tell any embarrassing story you want. I just want to wear real clothes again, please. <laughs> I am definitely not recording this podcast wearing many, probably decade old, I would say, Old Navy fleece polar bear print wow. pajama pants. I would not do something like that. It's definitely a vamp vampire's, vampire's fiance. The vampire's dress. dentist at home on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> vampire's on again, off again. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something else. It's a, it's, I don't want to say it's like a fun story, but it's compelling and everybody was clicking on it for a reason. And if I say throw whichever qualms you have 
read readers, listeners, um, a way you're not doing anybody any sort of violence by reading it as a little bit of semi escapist. Um, yeah. Whatever. I should say also, she's <laughs> yeah. a really cute dog. She's a nice looking dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kind of a... Okay. Well then, then that's yeah, an important. You know, I mean, angle. <laughs> nobody can be all bad who has like a really cute, cute dog. Um, so Fair do enough. we have anything else to say about the journalist and the pharma bro? I'm, I'm I don't think we do. To, I'm tempted to end this that... by revealing that since 2017, um, I've not been able to think about Martin Shkreli, not that I think about him often, but I haven't been able to like hear or see his name without thinking about how I saw somebody slot his name into an Eminem rap song. Um, and it actually works really, really well. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Martin Shkreli. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, I've always I've also thought about his name, but not anything as exciting as that. Like, so I took this German for reading class. I don't know how to read German, whatever. This was years ago. Um, and the teacher had something that she would always have us do, which was der Schrecklichen Französischen Pudel, which taught me that like Schrecklichen is like, it was supposed to be evil, I guess, in German or something. And there's something similar, I think possibly in Dutch. So I always thought his name, I always thought his name like the, was like Martin Evil. <laughs> like I always thought that was, but I don't, I'm not a linguist. Yeah, well, I, mean I don't know. If it's not English or French, I, I don't You don't really want to confuse so kinda... the S-H-K-R-E with S-H-R-E-K, which is the name of a fun-loving ogre from a wonderful series of animated films. Oh, we, we, we read that story frequently in my household also. I know, I know it well. Um, yeah, that's true. So definitely... Lady journalists, do not give it all up for Shrek. He's oh, not worth it. Disagree. Or maybe he is. Or are you, you going to say yes? Do 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 give it all up for Shrek. And having thoroughly discussed the elephant in the room, I will see myself <laughs> out. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We you can are subscribe feminine to chaos. Feminine Chaos on patreon.com slash feminine chaos. If you enjoyed this, we heartily encourage you to join us there for bonus content. And um, starting soon, because we reached one of our subscriber goals, um, we're going to be doing AMAs monthly where you can ask us anything. So yeah, please, uh, please sign up. Okay, yes. bye. Jeez. Bye.